0: So we'll pick up this morning, continue to work through the Sunday school series on the doctrine of the person of the Holy Spirit. We're using Sinclair Ferguson's book, The Holy Spirit, and sort of adapting the book for the Sunday school class. So I hope it's been uh, encouraging, uh, enjoyable, maybe challenging in some areas for you. But we'll pick up this morning on Spiritus Recreator, part two. Uh, now I taught, I started this class last week. I didn't get through the whole class because I needed to end early, um, but I want to pick up where I left off in that class and then we'll get to um, some new material in part, part two here. I mean, all of it will be new material in the sense that you haven't heard it, but um, I'm gonna uh, pick up where I, I ended that class last week and then we'll move forward. So uh, last week we, does anybody remember what we talked about last week? Anything come to mind? Body. Something about regeneration. <laughs> Something about regeneration. Well, you're not wrong, brother. <laughs> yes, we were talking about regeneration. Uh, what is that what does that mean? Um, how does that happen? Uh, We talked about um, our triune God in regeneration. And uh, though some aspects of regeneration may be in scripture attributed to uh, one person of the Trinity, the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit. We know that all three persons are always involved in in everything that our triune God does. And in regeneration, specifically, uh, the changing of the heart and the will, we were emphasizing the Spirit's work in that. Um, the changing of the mind. There, there is a there is an intellectual uh, component to it. That doesn't mean that um, the problem with men is that they don't think enough, therefore they're not saved. But the, the Spirit does change our minds. Uh, he changes our wills. He changes our affections. Okay, and we'll sort of uh, pick up on that. And then we talked about um, who is uh, who is the primary agent operating, um, and regeneration. What, what part does man have? What, what, what part does, does God have? Uh, is, uh, are men able to believe, uh, faith, repentance? Um, is this man's contribution and then the spirit sort of takes that contribution and then he works with it? Or is the spirit the one causing the man to exercise faith and belief and, and repentance? And that led us to where I had to, uh, close out the class last week, but I'll pick up now on divine monergism. Divine monergism. Now, in the New Testament, regeneration is attributed to God's powerful, sovereign work of the Spirit. No one has ever had a hand in their natural birth. Right, let's, 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 this is obvious, but let's think about this for a sec. Does the, uh, the, the child before they are uh, conceived say, I want to be conceived, mom, dad. I, I, I want to be birthed. No, that's, that's ridiculous and obviously not the case. They don't have a hand in the, the process of conception and they didn't lend a hand to the OB who delivered them, right? They, they, they had nothing to, to do with that. Neither can we lend a hand to God in the process of regeneration. The Bible uses this terminology of born again, born again. And we talked about that last week, that, that language used in Scripture. John 1, 12 to 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, the word will here is uh, a word that has Various uses, um, but some of those primary uses in the original language is uh, choice, volition, decree, desire, pleasure. Of the not of the will of man, but of God. Not of the choice, volition, decree, pleasure, desire of man but of the choice, volition, decree, will, pleasure, desire of God. It's God's choice, not our own. It's God's decree, not our own. It comes by his volition, will, pleasure, not our own autonomous will. Again, John 1, 12 to 13, who are born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, Kyle talked about the Ordo Salutis, or the Order of Salvation, a few weeks ago. And again, the Order of Salvation is not referring to sort of a uh, chronology, but to logical relationship. Now, uh, you can go back and listen to that class, which was really helpful as he talked about this. Uh, It's it's from June 26th, I I think is the date. It's called The Spirit of Order, Part 1, which is really helpful in sort of preparing... or just a stepping stone to to this class and preparing for this discussion. But um, he talked about the order of salvation. Now, when we talk about ordo salutis and Protestant reform circles, you might hear someone refer to regeneration as monergistic, monergistic. Now, I first heard that term from R.C. Sproul and I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Uh, But as every good teacher does, he explained the word. He, He defined his terms. Monergism comes from two Greek words, mono, meaning one, and ergon, meaning work. Monergism is a term for the belief that the Holy Spirit is the only agent who affects regeneration in Christians. Man is of the flesh. He cannot create in himself something spiritual or supernatural by his own earthly or natural volition. Monergism, monergistic, monourgon, one work, or one working. Now, back to Jesus' explanation uh, to Nicodemus in John 3, 5, which we talked about last week. He says, actually, I'm going to have someone read this. Someone go to John chapter 3 and read verses 5 through 7. John 3, verses 5 through 7. <clears throat> one is born of water and the Spirit; you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Thank you. <laughs> again, we're talking about divine monergism—that uh, God, the Holy Spirit, is the only agent who affects regeneration in Christians. So, John, thank you for reading that, Crystal. So John three five to seven. That language—he cannot enter the kingdom of god Um, you must be born again born from above which we we talked about now there's another place uh, where it's helpful to have some uh, access to what we may otherwise miss in the original languages Uh, john 3 uh, 3 to 10 uses language that denies man certain abilities by using the negative of the greek verb uh, uh, dynestia it's a word that refers to one's ability to do something or the possibility of it. Now, this is where we see this, this term used. And John 3, 3. Turn there, and I'm going to draw out that, that, language, that, that language here as we read through these verses. John 3, 3. Jesus answered him. Again, so when I draw this out, think, it's using the negative of a word here to point to man's inability or the impossibility of them being able to do something. John 3:3, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Cannot is that word. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So he uses this language that points to the um, lack of one's ability to or the impossibility of. He cannot enter the kingdom. It is impossible for him to. He cannot see the kingdom. It is impossible for him to. Uh, Can he be born again when he or can he? Be born when he is old, reborn when he is old. Uh, can he? It's saying no. It's impossible for him to re-enter his mother's womb and be born. So all of this pointing to man's inability. Jesus contrasts spiritual regeneration with um, with, with that which is done in the flesh, spirit, flesh. Men and women cannot see or even enter the kingdom of God. Can't enter or see the kingdom of God in the flesh. John uses a, uh, this word flesh in John. Um, it means to be uh, blind, to be spiritually blind, to be insensitive to spiritual realities. Um, we do not understand, we cannot see. Christ took on human nature, including flesh. So John is obviously not saying that there's something inherently sinful in flesh and bone. He's pointing to something deeper when he says, And in in their flesh, they cannot do this because they're of the flesh. He's saying there's a spiritual blindness there that makes them incapable and unable to do do this. In Matthew 19, when the disciples asked, Who then can be saved if not the rich? was essentially their question. Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. John's using this language again to point to utter inability and the ability with God. God as the powerful one who is able. The impossibility of salvation is made possible by God. Okay, so that's under that first section in your handout there divine monergism. Now there's a lot more that could be said about that. There are whole books written on um, divine monergism, but for the sake of the class, we're briefly just hitting these things, sort of a flyby for you to study more later, uh, take the scriptures down, uh, get your hands on a good um, resources, concordance or whatnot, um, just helpful commentaries and work through these things to, to see this. Now, most of you here are members of a reformed church. So I know this isn't new to you, but it's good for us for our own hearts to remember that we are um, spiritually desperate, needy people. Um, And even when we think about um, uh, uh, the gospel and sharing the gospel, that we communicate uh, the inability of man to do anything in and of themselves. Um, Man can't be left with some um, remnant of what he can do in order to save himself. Well, God does that, but I did this. Uh, Again, I've said this before, the the most dangerous heresies don't say forsake God and do this, forsake Christ and do this. They say, well, keep Christ and add this. And looking at scripture and having a sort of robust theology underneath our understanding of regeneration is good for our souls and for the proclamation of, of the gospel. Okay next point there Aspects of regeneration Aspects of regeneration In Ferguson's book When he describes regeneration He sees the spirit's work as Radical renewal And multifaceted It's a radical renewal that's multifaceted It has several elements Well before I Go here, let me ask you, well, what are some things that come to mind for you when you think about um, aspects of regeneration? Aspects of being born again, being recreated? Um, you would say, uh, involved in regeneration is this. What comes to mind for you? This is not a test. <laughs> You're not being graded, just throw out what you think. Renewal, all right. Yep. What else, Kim? Okay. Yep. Nice. Yep. What else? Priorities change. Yeah. Yes. Yep. On that level, right? So there's a heart level that informs what we do. Our priorities change. Absolutely. What else? Illumination. Illumination. Yeah. Yep. The Bible used that that language when it talks about what's happening in the the soul of a person. Yep. What else? Priorities change. Heart taken out. Renewal. Illumination. What else? <laughs> you didn't raise your hand. I didn't. <laughs> 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 What'd you say, Luke? Okay. Yeah. You're given the mind of Christ. The scripture you uses that language, Matt. Yeah. Faith. Yeah. Just we're going to talk about that. Just basic faith. Right. We're given all of these things, all of these aspects of, of regeneration. All of those are true and right answers. So you passed anyway. Right. Um, don't tell me. No, I'm bad at this. Names. Just just go. <laughs> Jonathan from, uh, California. Jonathan. Okay. Okay. Um, yes the fruit of the spirit right ephesians yep so we're bearing that fruit um, of what repentance uh, uh, faithfulness uh, gentleness right those different things yep all of those are, are good answers um, but let's look at some scriptures that also show us some aspects of of regeneration so by the spirit uh, we have the knowledge of the lord that was mentioned the mind of christ illumination renewal um, which informs what we do what we think uh, 1 Corinthians 2.16, turn there. We'll, we'll look at this together. 1 Corinthians 2.16. We're going to uh, jump to a few different verses here in this next section. So we'll, we'll be looking at Romans and Titus as well. But first, 1 Corinthians 2.16. <clears throat> Someone want to read that for us? We have the mind of Christ. Uh, by the Spirit, we're given the mind of Christ. Uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, the knowledge of God was uh, mediated through prophets, through priests, and through, through kings. we talked about that. The, uh, those three offices, um, which points to, to Christ. In the New Covenant, the Spirit gives us the mind of Christ, not through the Old Testament offices of revolving generations of prophet, priests, and kings, but through Christ who is the eschatological and supreme fulfillment of the prophet, priest, king office and he is our, our mediator. So you think about even that, the, the mediatory role there um, from the old covenant to, to the new covenant. Uh, Christ is prophet, priest, and king. Um, it's, it's not a, a, a new idea. Um, but even in the, as far as the knowledge of God, that's communicated to the people, the instruction to the people, how they ought to live, what they ought to do, what they ought to fear and love. In the New Testament, Christ takes, he, he is all of the, the, the threefold office of Christ. He's the one now who gives the commands to his people, what they ought to do and love and cherish and hate. He gives the church their, their marching orders. He is the mediator. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Regeneration also involves our wills set free from bondage. Again thinking about aspects of regeneration, our wills are set free from bondage to sin. Someone read Romans 6:6. 6, 6. Romans 6:6. 6, 6. Whoever gets there just read it nice and loud for us. Know that our self Okay, thank you. Crucified, old self, it's brought to nothing, it says, it's it's dead, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So if we are enslaved to sin prior to regeneration, that must mean that there's a a change of our our, um, relationship with sin. There's a change in our relationship with God, not a change in him, but a change in us in relation to him, and there's a change in our relationship with sin. We were enslaved to sin, right? We already saw that man is not able to enter the kingdom of God himself, unless God does the regenerating. He cannot come to the light. He cannot even see the light, right? So there's something happens. uh, Somebody said illumination thing, Arnie, and and seeing that the scriptures come alive, you're you're illuminated, right? So there is, and the scripture uses this light, dark language in Colossians, you see that they're transformed uh, transferred from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his son. It uses this language to talk about man's change, his his recreating, his being recreated in Christ. <clears throat> Alright, so there's the, the will, the mind, the heart, uh, the bondage to sin. There's also a cleansing aspect of regeneration. You now what comes what, what comes to mind for you when you think about the cleansing aspect of regeneration? Mind, yeah, yep. There, there's a cleansing aspect that happens with how we think, right? What, what what we feel, what we love, it's it's cleansed, it's washed. What else? Anything else come to mind? The Bible uses this. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll look at it in a sec, but this language of cleansing and washing um, in relation to regeneration. Now, some in in the early church saw such a strong uh, connection between regeneration and washing that led them to the conclusion of um, baptismal regeneration, that when one is baptized, they are therefore regenerated in in, in their, their baptism. Uh, there, there were some that's, that's other reading in another conversation but there are some church fathers who, who held to that or, or patristic fathers who held to that, that doctrine now we see we're going to talk about this but we see uh, some relationship but it should not therefore lead us to the conclusion that one is saved upon being baptized um, but I do want to look at what we do see in scripture as the, the relationship between these two this cleansing aspect to regeneration someone turn to uh, Titus 3 5 yeah we'll go there first and then we'll go to to Ezekiel <clears throat> Titus 3 5 when you get there just go ahead and read it nice and loud for us <clears throat> by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Closely linked there, washing and regeneration. Um, Now there's likely a connection here with Isaiah 36, 25 to 27, which says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart. This is Old Testament speaking of the new covenant. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The work of the spirit in washing and cleansing Um, is identified with a spiritual change of the will and desires to obey god's commands regeneration affects the entire person right they are they are new creatures and here in ezekiel that language of uh uh, washing and and sprinkling is referred to um something that happens um in, in in the heart now this is a, a, a whole other class <laughs> on uh, washing and sprinkling and regeneration and baptism. Um, I could point you to, to really helpful reading on that. Um, but here in Ezekiel, and I think t- Titus three, five is, is building on this in, in Ezekiel uh, 36, but here it's this, this sprinkling is in washing is referred to. It's, it's referring to, um, the, the New Covenant is referring to, I think it was Kim who said earlier, that the removing of the heart of stone and giving a heart of flesh. Right, so it's pointing to something um, deeper than merely external um, water, but it's pointing to something something internal. Now, there are aspects in scripture that point to external water, but that's not for this class. <laughs> okay, so we're thinking about aspects of, of regeneration. <clears throat> Well, in thinking about this, the topic again, um, well, let's think about you. When you were born again, what changes did you experience? I asked this earlier, sort of, uh, just sort of left it out in the, you know, in the space, but let think about you specifically. When you were born again, what, what changed? Matt? Change in desire. Yeah. Your change in desires. What else? Think about your own experience. Awareness of sin in my life. Yeah. So there was an awareness of, of sin. You were sensitive to sin now. Things that you were indifferent to before or that you even loved before, now you, you hated. it. You, you feel that, that tension there. Yep. What else? Hope. Hope. Yeah. Yep. There's There's a... Bible used that language over and over, uh the hope of the resurrection, the hope of things to come. Yep. So you go from hopeless to, to hopeful. Crystal? Um, just like how I view light in the world, just now looking like those spiritual lens, yeah. Just a worldly hmm. and earthly lens. Yeah, yeah. I when you said that I think about Colossians three, set your minds on the things above, which wasn't a category before. We weren't setting our minds on things above before. Yep. Fair? Uh, yeah, right, yep. Putting the death self and actually wanting to live holy, which is not something that happens in the flesh. Yep. Anything else? I would I would to say my whole worldview of things like things I used to do before is like opposite now. Have yeah. To be like, you know, it's separate. So right. Yeah, yep. Your your view of the world, your view of God, your view of self changes, Arnie. Yeah, um, to me, for me, it was like that dream that's how the brain it said, it's like, <clears throat> somebody told me, a I read Romans Road over and over before I was a Christian, and it mm-hmm. seemed like it was just somebody's thoughts. Okay. And then when that, after, uh, in that moment with the rapture, read to me, Romans Road again, those yeah. verses, it seemed like it spoke to hmm. me more personally, yeah so, the yeah came alive the moment, yeah you, yep, yep you see yourself and scripture and that you see God working and how God works um, and his power to save and you identify with it okay, right. so, yes yeah. I, I, I know this I, I, I can attest to that right yeah yep any other thoughts for <laughs> yeah. a whole new squad. <laughs> yeah, yep. There's a that, that that's a part of, I think a part of uh, regeneration at times as well, um, and it's not because we say, well, uh, you know, I'm I'm saved now. Obviously, I can't hang out with you anymore. There are some people you need to say that to, <laughs> but other times it's just that there's a there's not a like mindedness there uh, they have different affections different desires they want other things and there are other friends that we do we, we maintain relationships with um, and, and it's fine so it's a it's sort of a spectrum there but there are we, we find ourselves in different seasons interacting with different friends in those different ways I think some we, we just we can't vibe We're, this relationship has to others you can sort of you know get with and others you, you see those, those those relationships change so yeah yeah Okay. <clears throat> when a person is regenerated, we talked about this on the outside. Uh, they probably don't look like completely different. So when someone's saved from, let's say, from Monday to Tuesday, um, you know, on Monday they have <laughs> they, they wear their hair a certain way. They get saved and their hair is different, or they look different, or I don't know, they got, you know my, uh, whatever. There's 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 not this external. Um, difference that's that's very obvious most of the time. Um, usually what's happening um, or what's what's identified is identified over time as you see this change of heart and change of will and change of, of, of desire. Um, sometimes you can't see that change by just looking at the person. But the Bible refers to the spirit work, which makes sense as wind that blows It comes, it blows, it goes. Uh, You don't know from where it came, where it's going. And it's pointing to um, the invisible work of of the spirit. Uh, We we can't see the spirit regenerating someone in that sense. Um, But we know by usually the effects of it. Uh, Leaves rustle across a driveway. Oh, the wind is blowing or trees are shaking. Oh, the wind is blowing. It's not that you see the wind, but you see the you see the effects of it. You see what it what it does. You can never ever you you can you can never hear or rather you can sometimes hear the sound of the wind. And that's how you know it's presence. And you can hear the sound. uh, You can't hear the spirit moving, but you see the effects of the spirit in a person's heart. Express primarily first and repentance and faith to regeneration. Uh, that person that did not trust in God and refused to acknowledge they fall, uh, that they fall short of the glory of God now acknowledge God and his goodness and their need for him and they cherish the word. All right, when it comes down to regeneration, there's a uh, the common question though even as we think about what the person does and the wind that blows, the spirit of the wind that blows, there's a question of free will. Uh, does the person have free will if God, is, um, if God is the one regenerating them? Is there some aspect of what they do that we can say is of the will of man? When we think about John 1, John, John 3, when we talk about salvation being sovereign, that means that it's from God, uh, from God, uh, by God, to God, through God. That can sometimes rub up against our ideas of the free will of the creature. The doctrine of God's sovereignty over salvation, as it was articulated in the Protestant confession, doesn't compromise the integrity of the human person, but it doesn't compromise the necessity of God's power alone to raise a spiritually dead person. You see that in John Six thirty-seven, John six forty-four, John ten sixteen. But I want to read a paragraph in the the sixteen eighty-nine, the Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter ten, on effectual calling, and paragraph one. It says this. This is in uh, the uh, modern uh, tr- translation of it. And God's appointment and acceptable time. He is pleased to call effectually by his word and spirit, those who are predestined to life. He calls them out of their natural state of sin and death to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. He enlightens their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. He takes away their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. He renews their wills and by his almighty power turns them to good and effectually draws them to Jesus Christ. Yet he does all this in such a way that they come completely freely since they are made willing by his grace. Now, The the last sentence of that paragraph is what I want to focus in on. Yet he does all of this in such a way that they come completely freely freely, made willing by his grace. Men are commanded to repent and have faith, right? It's a a command in scripture, repent, believe the gospel, but they are unable to because of their natural enslavement to sin. When they believe they exercise faith, but their faith is dependent upon the sovereign spirit drawing them. The spirit works in their hearts so that they are able to freely respond in faith and repentance. No person that has ever been saved has come against their own will. No one has ever come. uh, I first heard this actually from from Ron. No one has ever come into the kingdom uh, kicking and screaming against their will. No, no, I don't want to go. Oh, yes, you will. You will come. No, no. They come willingly. They are made willing um, and able to come because of the Spirit of God. They believe, they exercise faith, but their faith is dependent upon the Sovereign Spirit. The Spirit works in their hearts so that they are able to freely respond in faith and repentance. No person has ever been saved or come against their will. However, their will is changed so that they freely desire that which pleases God. The spirit works in the mind and the whole of the emotions of the person. God uses the gospel as the ordinary means to effectually draw the person to himself. And they come willingly, freely, joyfully. Psalm 110.3. Turn there. Psalm 110 verse 3. Someone read those, uh, that, that verse for us. Psalm 110, verse 3. <clears throat> your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. Okay. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. Something happens in the heart of, of, of the person. God's power is displayed in the gospel could say um and uh, the person is made willing and able and they offer themselves freely joyfully so we have to maintain scriptures teaching on uh total inability man's inability to to come to god themselves and uh, divine sovereignty those those have to be maintained and 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 held We, we can't um steal from God glory that's due to him and offer it to man as if they can do something. Um, and at the same time, we have to maintain uh, that, uh, that that scripture upholds uh, men's um, uh, uh, free will qualified. Um, our free wills are enslaved to sin. We just read that in Romans. Um, so putting those two together, we we see that well, man is unable. They they do have have a will. Um, God, they do have a sinful will. God, He powerfully changes that will, uh, so some can say they offer themselves freely and, and joyfully. You, you see that in, in Revelation as well. This um, this this willing, this joyful, this this freedom and liberty um, of the will of the creature, even in worship. <clears throat> so I hope that is. Helpful, at least for to create some some categories. Um, Let's go to the next section there. Faith as a gift. Faith as a gift. Faith is the effect of the spirit's ministry in the New Testament. It's seen as a gift of God. We talked about this last week. and we'll just pick up a, a little here before before I have to close out. Um, let's look at Philippians one twenty-nine. Philippians one twenty-nine. So we're thinking about faith as as a gift. Whoever gets there, go ahead and read it for us. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for the sake of Okay. Thank you. Not only believe in him, but suffer for his sake. Now, Ferguson looks at this in his book and sees a parallel in both the suffering and the belief. I mean, we all just see that it's there in scripture, but he draws this out in a certain way. He sees the parallel between suffering and belief or suffering and faith. Faith is a gift and suffering is a gift. Yet it's not God. Think about this. I thought this was helpful. He says, it's not God that suffers, but we suffer, and yet the suffering is given to us by God. Philippians 1.29. Suffering is a gift, faith is a gift. It's not God that suffers, we suffer, yet suffering is given to us by God. If we take that same logic and apply it to faith, God doesn't exercise the faith for us, we exercise the faith, yet it's given to us by God. Does that make sense? You see the... the connection there faith is the doing of the person they have faith we have faith yet it's directed by the spirit towards Christ it's directed in the person by the spirit towards Christ yet the spirit doesn't have the faith for us we have to have faith we have to exercise faith God doesn't believe for us but it's by God's grace that we do believe St. Clair Ferguson puts it this way, God's gift is simultaneously our act. It's, there's mystery there. It's not, um, it, it's, it, it can be hard to create those categories because the, the spirit, or the, the scripture gives us both of these in, in tandem, they're, they're, they're linked. But at the same time, we know man can't do it. So how does he do it? And I think looking at Philippians 129 is, is helpful. And even that, that sort of logic behind it is helpful. Suffering and faith are a gift. God doesn't suffer, we suffer, yet it's given by him. Faith is a gift. God doesn't exercise faith. We exercise faith, but it's given by him, upheld by him, rooted by him, by the Spirit. Ephesians 2:8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. What? Uh, how does that verse end? It is a gift of God. Gift of God. I'll give you a B minus on that. <laughs> <answer>. <laughs> Ephesians uh, 6.23 Peace be to you, brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6.23, from love with faith, from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gives this prayer and blessing and recognizes faith as from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.1, <clears throat> Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. By the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Or that could read as uh, received a faith by the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Ferguson again says here, The active exercise of faith, it is we, not God, who believe, does not compromise the grace of the Spirit's work in the application of salvation. It is of the nature of faith that by it we actively receive Christ and justification in and, and, and him without contributing to it. After all, faith is trust in another. It is the antithesis of all self-contribution and self-reliance. We exercise faith without contributing to it interested helpful I thought okay now we've talked about divine monergism faith uh, aspects of regeneration regeneration um, but we haven't talked about what have we missed in in this conversation concerning regeneration this is extra credit if you get this you, you get something what have we missed Repentance. We've missed we haven't talked about repentance. Extra credit for you, Barani. There's coffee back there. Feel free to oh you're pregnant. Never mind. Repentance. What verses come to mind for you when you think about repentance? Any verses? Throw them out. The necessity. The necessity of repentance. okay I'm going to make you say it <laughs> so, um, if we confess our sins the Lord is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of our unrighteousness yeah yep if we confess our sins yep so there is recognizing the need to confess seeing the sin confessing what else what, what other verses come to mind I, I won't make you say it I just <laughs> I know Brian had it so. What what other verses come to mind? Think the Old Testament, the New Testament. <laughs> Every time I look at Ron, I feel like he's like looking like let's go see how he does. <laughs> I always feel like <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay, yep. Repent and believe the good news. Yep. That's the that's command there. What else? At um, now we can make all the all Yep. Yep. Clear in scripture there, Amber? keeping <laughs> Hmm produce fruit in keeping with repentance so not a well one time deal there yes just one time but not merely one time but consistent what if Sovereignty of God, yep, and repentance. That makes me think of the verse, wow. his, it, his gentleness? Uh, yes. What is that verse? His is, Christ 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 is Christ. Christ. Yeah. yeah, yep. You got it. You still get extra credit for that. <laughs> you and Ron can share the point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, uh, verse 10, for God's sorrow work worketh repentance. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. That's a good one, too. Yep. Thank you, Jonathan. That's, that's good. Yep. I thought about Psalm 51, um, which I'll, I'll read and I'll like close out here. <clears throat> Psalm 51 verses 1 to 6. Psalm is here. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's direct. This is directed to God. But look at the, the language he uses. Have mercy. Verse two. wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse three, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Verse four, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now this is David, Galatian, Sheba, Psalm 32, and, right? We're, we're familiar with that, that what, what King David uh, did. Now context, David's men go off to war. He stays back. He's on the rooftops. He's a woman, brings her to himself, um, lays with her. She gets pregnant, um, sends her back, or actually keeps her sends, uh, her, sends word to the army to put her husband in the front line, uh, kills him, it's murder, um, keeps him in his home, and then there, it, it, it goes on from there. That's. That's the context there. David says, against you, you only, have I sinned. This, this is sort of off, off my notes, but just a thought. Against you and you only, have I sinned. Did David only sin against God? Well, yes, he, he sinned against God. But who else did David sin against? He, he sinned against, what's that? Nathan? That, that, uh, Nathan? Yes, was it Nathan? Who was it? Uriah, that's it was, is that, is that what you're thinking? The husband. Yes, yeah, Uriah. Um, uh, He's sinning against who else? I thought you said the nation. I was like, yes, uh, Israel. He's sinning against Bathsheba, what's he doing? He's sinning against uh, the armies, right? But yet here he says against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He recognizes the covenant terms here that he sinned against the God uh, who has covenanted himself to him so that I may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I, have brought, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David here directs his repentance to God. Uh, I remember um, in one of my systematic theology classes, uh, Sam Waldron um, brought out something. He said that uh, repentance is directed to God and faith to Jesus Christ. Um, We repent against the one whom law we have transgressed um, and place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit, both by the Spirit, so that the Trinitarian work of repentance even. Repentance is the recognition of offense against God, covenant God, who is covenant to himself with men. Second, repentance involves turning away from sin in the light of the gracious provision of God's covenant. And I would say covenant terms. Repentance, um, faith, salvation. Um, Repentance is not simply saying or it's not. I want to say simply saying it's not um lord forgive me without turning to the terms of reconciliation the covenant terms of reconciliation which is the lord jesus christ Um, there are many who uh, many sort of spiritualists who will say well um i i i try to by meditation cleanse myself of this or that and i recognize that i have uh, offended Mother Mother Earth, and I have not done well with my resources. And there are all type of philosophies about how one should regard creation, but repentance turns from something to something. Uh, it doesn't turn from something and is left uh, neutral. It it actually turns to Christ. It says, "Well, these are uh, the the, the terms, the, the covenant terms, the new covenant terms." The Lord Jesus Christ is the propitiation. The Lord Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and man. And so even when we think about our own um, gospel proclamation, one, the gospel for our hearts, which it ought to be consistently, but also our proclamation, um, it's not simply um, make better decisions, um, uh, turn over a new leaf. It's a new year coming, you know, do some things different as if this is renewal The Bible uses such strong language for for what happens in the heart, regeneration, man's inability, God's uh, omnipotent ability, uh, renewal, regeneration, recreation. Um, So it's not just, um, again, making better decisions, but something much, much deeper than that. It doesn't form the decisions we make. That's uh, that's a those are the rustling leaves of what happens. um, But um, it's the spirit working in a person's heart. Oh, I'm over. Okay. I apologize for going over five minutes, but um, I hope that was helpful. (laughs) That was a threat. (laughs) Um, Let me pray and then we'll we'll close out. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts by your spirit. Um, Make your word effective um, unto our sanctification. Bless us now as we go into the corporate worship room to um, offer to you uh, praise and thanksgiving um, which is which you are worthy of Lord um, and we give you thanks for the blessing the fellowship with you in this uh, unique way on the Lord's day and with your people uh, for your glory and our good. in Jesus name. Amen.